Well, it's so excited to have Brody as part of the staff here. Uh, it's, it's been really good to get to know him uh, through the process, uh, to get to see him leading our students this past Wednesday. And, and as he said, we really threw him in. His first weekend here, don't get to learn this new home that you have. Go away and, and uh, jump on a, on a van and, and not be around here. Uh, and so he's, he's really just taken to being thrown in the deep end really well. This Sunday, forcing him to go through membership, uh, not forcing him. He's feeling called to this place. And so uh, he, he gets to come and see what it is that we do as a church, what it is that we believe, and to see... Uh, as he fits, how he can come alongside of that. If you are in a similar spot, not so much to, to work on staff, but if you are seeing this as a church that God has placed you in for a reason, this is your home church, encourage you, come to membership class after second service as we will talk through what we believe, what we stand for, what we put energy and effort behind, and uh, give an opportunity for, for you to say, I want to be part of that church as well. That's what we see membership here is as just an agreement that you will be part of what God is doing here at Calvary. Commend you all for, for sticking with us uh, through this series of the book of Hebrews. We've had a couple tough passages in a row now and some, some warnings that we've heard throughout. It's uh, pay attention to what you've heard lest you drift from it. Uh, take care that none of you have an evil, unbelieving heart. Uh, uh, pay, uh, or, uh, take, uh, pay attention lest you fail to enter God's rest. Uh, every creature will stand before God and have to give an account, and he sees everything. We've had these these really tough passages to hear at times. Now, don't hear me as being apologetic about any of this. First and foremost, it's in the text of Scripture, and one of the things that we're committed to as a church, we want to teach everything that we find within the Bible. But also, these warnings are also there for us as well. Are we part of God's people or just around God's people? Do we know God or just know about Him? Are we trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for our salvation? Are we following after him alone, denying ourselves to follow after him? Or are we trying to be the gods of our own lives? The unsettlingness that these questions have of us, I think, can be a little bit good. They cause us to ask these questions. They cause us to look at our lives and see, is this true? Am I truly following this Jesus? Because now we get to move to the other side of that. After we take inventory, after we ask these questions of ourselves, we realize that we don't have to wonder. As we come out the other side of those questions and say, yes, I am following this Jesus, we are told the certainty that we can have. We are told that we don't have to try to work and wonder, did I earn God's affection because it's there? We are told of the confidence that we can have because of this Jesus. Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 10 is all about the confidence that we can have because of this Jesus. I mean, you look at those questions, the uh, take care. Well, why do we do that? Well, it's because of who God is and what he's done, or who Jesus is and what he's done. Well, it's the, the pay attention. Why do we pay attention? Well, it's because of this who Jesus is and what he's done. Make every effort, strive. Well, that's because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Why do we have confidence that we can stand before this God to whom we must give an account, to whom sees all things? Why do we have motivation to follow after him and, and him alone? Well, it's because of who Jesus is and what he has done. He is the source of that confidence. 
Well, let me show my work. Let's go to Hebrews 4, uh, 14. This is what it says. It says, since then, we have such, uh, we have a great high priest. Uh, Wait, stop there. Uh, What's a high priest? It's really important that we get on the same page of understanding what a high priest is, not only to understand this passage, but we're going into this new section of the book of Hebrews where the high priest aspect, how Jesus is a high priest, is going to be brought up from 414 all the way to chapter 10, verse 25. So for the next five weeks or so, we're going to need to be on the same page about what a high priest is. So let's try to get on that same page. And in order to get an answer, and if you've been with us in Hebrews, you know where we're going to get this answer. We're going to the Old Testament to try to figure things out. And not just the Old Testament, but we need to go all the way back to the first few pages. God made everything, and it was good. It was perfect. This included people, but people decided to not be perfect. They decided to go against this God who loved and cared for them. They were in his presence. He had this close connection with them, and people decided, we know what's better. We will choose to go against this God. We will choose to be the gods of our own lives. And we do the same thing. But we quickly realize, or at least we eventually realize, that we make pretty poor gods of our own lives. Uh, I, uh, a couple weeks back, I hurt my neck, and it was so bad that I asked for painkillers, which I don't like doing. I don't like drawing attention to myself, he says from a stage. Uh, so this, this ought to show you the seriousness of, of how much I was feeling this, which I don't like doing it. And how did I hurt my neck this badly? I was walking down the stairs. That's all it took, was just walking down the stairs. And yet I think that I could be God over my own life when stairs are apparently a hazard to me. I think I can control all things. I think that I can can make sure things work out best for me when that can happen, let alone when when things go bad for us or we're, we're trying to figure out what is right and wrong. What are always our solutions there? It's things that are arbitrary or self-serving. And when we come in contact with other people who are trying to be gods of their own lives, we have a, a divine war on our hands at this point. And, and all the while, we keep realizing that we don't do well. You just look at our life and how we have regrets. Oops is not something you want to hear from a god. And we say it all the time. So we recognize that we make pretty poor gods. We see that in the earliest people. And yet the God, the actual God, did not give up on humanity at that point. He continued to strive after them. He continued to love them. He continued to pursue them. He continued to be the God who wants to be known. And he demonstrates his love for the entire world in the Old Testament and how he interacted with one people group in particular, the Israelites. Now, we've been talking a lot about Israel. In the Old Testament, God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He was bringing them through the wilderness to a land that would be their own. And along the way, he provided for their every needs. He was taking them to a place where he would be their God and they would be his people, this closeness that we all strive for. We all strive to be that close to this God, the actual God. And yet the Israelites chose to rebel as well. They chose to try to be the gods of their own lives as well. The Bible has a word for this, going against God. It's called sin. But God did not give up on his people. 
He continued to go after them. He continued to want to be known by them. But the problem is that sin complicates things. This God is so pure and holy and good. And all the time in our lives, we demonstrate that we are not pure and holy and good. And so while we are designed to be with this God because He is that way, we can't be as close as we need to be, as we want to be. Think about it like magnets. They are designed properly to, to, bring, uh, to be near each other with a bond that is not easily broken. And yet when one gets flipped around, like how we turn away from God in sin, no matter how hard you try, you cannot bring these magnets together. So we need a way to bridge the gap between us and God. We need a way, we who are sinful, we who go against God, God who is pure and holy and good at all times, we need a way to bridge that gap between us and God. And so God gave us that way in the Old Testament, and that is through the high priest. This one person would go through uh, a rigorous rituals and, and aspects in their life to where they could go before this holy God and represent the people. This was the primary role of the high priest, to represent the people to God. And this mostly took place on one day in particular. It's called the Day of Atonement, where this one person would go into the place of God's presence, which took place on one part of earth, the Holy of Holies, which was in the tabernacle and then eventually the temple. And so while we were all designed to be with this God, God gave a way for that to, to happen in part where we can get represented by one person in one place at one time. It sounds pretty restrictive, right? But even who could be that high priest was restrictive as well. This person, uh, in Israel, there were 12 tribes, 12 subgroups that made up that nation, and the high priest could only come from one of those, the tribe of Levi. And not just that, but could only come from one person, one, uh, one family line, that of Aaron, the first high priest. So it's very restrictive of who could be this person. It's as if uh, we were chosen as part of our system to choose the next president of the United States. It could only be someone who was born in the state of Virginia and had the last name of Smith. Out of the entire country, that's all we could choose to be president. And hold your jokes about whether or not that'd be a better system than what we already have. <laughs> so the high priest, it's restrictive on when and where and who. But I hope in this we can see the seriousness of sin, that we who were meant to be close to this God are now far off. We need someone to represent us to that God, but it has to be very uh, meticulously kept of who can do that. And I hope it shows the seriousness of us going against this God, because then this high priest would go before this holy God and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Our rebellion are going against God, us thinking that we can be the ones who are God over our own life, well, that has a punishment to it. It has a cost to it. And that cost we hear about is death, to go against this God who gave us life and love and care, to choose to rebel against Him. Well, the cost of that is death. And God gave a way for us to be in right standing with God, and that was through animal sacrifice at the time that the high priest would do this. But what happens if you are walking back from the temple, the tabernacle, and you fall away from God again? You've got to redo the whole process again. 
waiting for next year to be in right standing with God at the Day of Atonement again. But the primary thing we want to take away from this is the way that access was given, the gap between us and God. It was bridged by this high priest. We on board with what the high priest does? Again, we need this for the next five or so weeks, so, so we got to make sure that we're, we're following along with it right now. All right, so with that as the background, that's a high priest. We can finally get back to Hebrews 4.14. Since then, we have a great high priest. Wait, stop. How is Jesus a high priest? I mean, we just talked about this whole thing. Has to come from tribe of Levi. Has to come from family line of Aaron. Uh, Jesus wasn't either of those things. There's also, at this time, or, or at least at our time, there's no temple to offer sacrifices in. And so how does Jesus do the role of a high priest? That's what this entire section is, this entire time. Jesus is a high priest. And we said again that we are talking about the confidence that we have because of what Jesus does. And now it sounds like Jesus can't be a high priest. So what's going on with that? Well, this is what I think uh, chapter 5, 1 through 10 is talking about. How can Jesus be a high priest? Well, let's look at these 10 verses. Because there's more that goes into what a high priest was like, what the requirements were to be a high priest than just those things. Look at, look at uh, verse 1, and it will show us that a high priest has to be human. Look at verse 1. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men, so chosen from men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So the high priest, in order to do that role, had to be human. On one sense, that, that seems to make sense on the surface level, right? They had to be human. If nothing else, hard to offer sacrifices without opposable thumbs. But look at verse 7 in here. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. So in the days of his flesh, Jesus, high priest had to be human. And now we're talking about how Jesus had the same humanity as that. And we've talked about this before a couple times. Jesus is God on high. He's on a throne and it's eternal. Or eternal. He's the son of God, but he is willingly made low so that he could be like us in every way. It's important we get this, in every way. Jesus did not just look the part. He didn't pretend to be human while he was here. He didn't have a God part and a human part, but he could switch back and forth between them. No, Jesus was like us in every way. And because of this, he could represent us as a high priest. He could fulfill this role because he was fully human. And this makes sense, right? If we are to be represented to this God, we need someone who is like us to represent us. We as Americans get this point really well. If we aren't represented by someone who is like us, well, we throw tea in the Boston Harbor. It is important that it is like us in every way. That's the purpose of this role. So the high priest could represent humanity as a human. The high priest could go and bridge the gap between God and man as a man. And Jesus can do that because he is like us in every way. The high priest could also represent humanity to God because uh, he experienced weakness. Look at uh, 5.2, so chapter 5, verse 2. 
Uh, still talking about the high priest. It says, he, the high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. It's a really beautiful passage, right? So the high priest can deal gently with people. It can understand, it can sympathize with people who are trying to be the gods of their own lives, who are trying to, to say what is best for their life without God, who is rebelling against God, who's tempted the high priest can be gentle and understand and be sympathetic because they themselves are going through the same thing. Then look at what it says about Jesus. Let's look at uh, verse 7 again, and we'll read past it this time. It says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So do you see some of these things? So loud cries and tears, descriptions about Jesus through what he suffered. So just as a high priest was able to deal gently with the people because it went through what they were going through, Jesus can do the same. We said he became like us in every way. It also says here he was tempted like us in every way. So he can be sympathetic because he felt that pull to go and do these things in opposition to God. Uh, 30-second tangent, and please don't time me. It's obviously going to go longer than 30 seconds, but it just sounds nicer. 30-second tangent. Uh, there's some interesting phrases in what we just read. Uh, he learned obedience, talking about Jesus. That's really interesting. So we said he was the perfect God on high, that he was made low for us, but it says he learned obedience. Was there a time when he was disobedient then? I don't think that's the case at all. What we have here is the difference between an untested obedience and a tested obedience. Untested versus tested obedience. Let me try to explain that. So Jesus got on high, perfectly following the will of God, but there is no pull to be disobedience. There's no temptation to do that. There's no need to do that. There's nothing else that looks greater because he's in perfect relationship with God as God on high. But when he becomes like us in every way, when he is made low to be human, fully human as we are, he experiences those temptations to go in other directions. He experiences the, the trials that we do, the, the pull to, to be uh, in opposition to God. Jesus, as a human, experiences every part of that. You can even say that Jesus is tempted far greater than we are. Because what's the easiest way to make a temptation go away? You give in to it. I'm not tempted to go against God when I'm going against God. But Jesus was fully faithful in every way. It wasn't just this theoretical obedience. It was a tested obedience. Let me try to explain this. Uh, so I love this season that we're in. Fall is wonderful for so many reasons, but one in particular is it's slightly, slightly more cult culturally appropriate to overindulge in pumpkin pie. Uh, I think pumpkin pie is a gift that God loves us and cares for us and wants us to enjoy this life that he's given to us. Uh, he really is a gracious God. Uh, but what we're having a, an issue with in our household is Emily likes 
buying all kinds of pumpkin uh, objects that aren't pumpkin pie. So we have pumpkin dog treats. We have like pumpkin ice cream. and Basically, we're having some strife and I need your help with it is what's going on here. <laughs> so she keeps failing to buy pumpkin pie. Uh, failing's not the right word, but it also is. Uh, so when I go home today, there will not be pumpkin pie waiting for me. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> also, uh, this is a new illustration that I didn't get her permission on, so everyone <laughs> be gracious to her for. But, so let's say I go home, no pumpkin pie there, and Emily says, uh, you cannot have pumpkin pie until after dinner, and then she leaves the house and goes run some errands or something like that. And so I go looking all over the house for pumpkin pie. Is it in the fridge, counter, pantry, under the dog, wherever it might be, trying to find this pumpkin pie. She comes home and says, did you have any pumpkin pie before dinner? I could say, no, I did not. There also wasn't an opportunity for me to have pumpkin pie there, was there? But if there is pumpkin pie there, and I'm holding Cool Whip in one hand and fork in the other and trying to mop up my drool, and I do not eat pumpkin pie until after dinner and she comes home. I was obedient this way, but I had every opportunity to not be. I felt the pull and temptation to go against what my wife had asked me to do. It's a very silly way of trying to illustrate what's happening here. Jesus is God on high, fully obedient, but there was never a pull to do otherwise. But when he became like us in every way, he was tempted and tried in every way that we are. There was the pull to go in any other direction than obedience to God. But he followed faithfully after this God. And so he became perfect, our passage says. Not that he was immoral or imperfect before, but he can become a perfect high priest through his suffering through what he experienced on this earth, through the pain that he continued to follow after God during that. And so he can represent us perfectly to God because he has experienced the same pull and trials and temptations that we have felt. And so he can be our high priest. Third thing about a high priest is that they are called. Look at verses four, five, and six. It says, and no one takes this honor for himself to be a high priest, uh, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Again, that's the original, uh, the first high priest that there was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This is Psalm 2. We read about this in chapter 1. So God is the one who's appointing him. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we see here that a high priest is called by God to that role, and it says Christ himself is appointed to this role. So we have that question, how can he be a high priest? He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's not from the family of Aaron. There's no temple for him to offer sacrifices in. What we're seeing here is that Jesus is called to a new priesthood, one after the order of Melchizedek, and come back for chapter 7 when we talk about what that means. So Jesus is called into this priesthood. And what we keep saying in each, uh, what we keep seeing in each one of these parts, how Jesus is human, how he experienced weaknesses, how he is called to this position, that in each one of these spots, it is looking at the old system, 
but it's also showing us the inefficiency of the old system. I mean, verse 3 says right there, the high priest had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. So it's wonderful to where they, he can be sympathetic to us, but he is failing within the system as well. We talked before about how it could happen for, in one place by one person at one time to experience the presence of God, but we are all designed to experience the presence of God. That was the original intention of humanity. That's why our entire lives are craving for something more, and it is that relationship with God. And it is through Jesus, this new priesthood, with him as high priest, that all are given this access to God. He is able to be the source, this was verse 9, the source of salvation to all who obey. Through Jesus as our high priest, him representing us perfectly to God because he's human, because he's experienced weaknesses, because he has been called to this role, he can represent us perfectly, not in the old system, but anew where all have access to this God. Now, finally, we can get back to chapter 4, verse 14. With this experience about what is a high priest, how is Jesus a high priest, we now get to talk about why this matters. So verse 14, since then we have a great high priest. Wait, stop. I'm kidding. Calm down. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Because Jesus is our high priest, let us hold fast our confession. Again, this is coming in the context of all of those warning passages. So I think this means for us is let us continue to cling to Jesus and Jesus alone as our source of salvation. Let us continue to find our hope and our trust and our purpose in him and him alone. Let us continue to trust and rest in the work that he has already done rather than the fruitless attempt of trying to earn our own salvation. Jesus is our great high priest and let us hold fast our confession. And again, what's our motivation for this? Well, look at verse uh, 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is that phrase that we keep coming back to. Jesus is like us in every way. Jesus has been tempted like us in every way, yet without sin. He has gone through all of this, yet without sin. And we talked about this a little bit in chapter 2, how Jesus can sympathize with us. But I, once again, just want to help us understand the significance of that. Jesus is God on high, made low for us. And so God, God has gone through everything that you and I will go through. God knows what it's like to experience pain and suffering, but also joy and elation. He knows what it's like to go through hardship and difficulty, but also uh, knows what it's, it's like to go through jubilation as well. Jesus, as God, has gone through all of this. And Brody talked about this. This is what we were uh, teaching our high schoolers with at the fall retreat, that Jesus has suffered and so can be sympathetic to us in our weaknesses. God has gone through all of this. And so he can be gentle with us like the high priest is, but he also can go more than that. 
How great is it to have someone who can relate to us with? We, when we find a person where, oh, you're going through the same thing, that gives me confidence and hope to continue pressing on. Oh, you feel the same temptations and, and trials that I do. It makes me not feel like a freak. I'm not alone in this. We have that with Jesus, but it goes beyond that because through Jesus can we also be shown the way to hope. Look at verse 16. Then let, uh, let us then with confidence. What word does it say? Oh, you're not saying it confidently. With confidence. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We talked before. In the Old Testament, one person, the high priest, who came from the family line of Aaron, from the tribe of Levi, could go uh, one day, the Day of Atonement, on one place, the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle or the temple, that one person could go and be in God, God's presence to represent God, to humanity to God. That was the system before. But now, because Jesus is our high priest, because he is like us in every way, because he has experienced weaknesses, tested in every way that we are, because he has been called to this role, because he is the greater high priest, we do not have that fate anymore. We do not need to go to one specific location. We do not need to wait for one specific day of the year. We don't need to, to have one person representing us to God. You certainly don't need my permission to do it. You have access to God. You, you can have this to go confidently before this God. Not in, not hiding behind, uh, not, not hiding, not in one specific area. We don't have to go on a pilgrimage. We don't have to do any of this. We can draw confidently to the throne of grace, to the very place of God's presence. We can do that because of who Jesus is as our high priest, because he is standing in that spot between us as sinful people and this holy and good and perfect God. Because we are all like this. We all have this spot in our life where we try to be the, the God of our own life. We, the poor gods that we all are, always think that we know what is better. We come across God's commands throughout the Old Testament and we say with our actions or our very words that we know what is better. God says, do not lie. Well, no, I'm of course going to lie. Otherwise, I might get in trouble or people might see my shortcomings. And that is worse to me than following this command. That is worse to me than going against God. I know better. It says, uh, do, do not, uh, it says to love your enemy in the, in the Bible. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. This person uh, really hurt me, and now they're getting their comeuppance. I am going to enjoy this. I made popcorn for it. I know better. Deny yourself and follow me, Jesus says. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. The iPhone 13 just came out, and it's only nearly identical to the 12. No, this item this person, this thing, this position 
that I can have, that is where I find fulfillment. That is where my fi- I find purpose in life, so I know better what is good for me. Until, of course, that runs out, and that proves to not be a good thing to align ourselves around, and we begin the chase anew to find something else to identify who we are, to give us purpose and value, and we constantly find out time and time again that we make poor gods. And the worst part of it happens is when we look at the actual God who has loved us and cared for us and provided a way for us to be near him. And we look at us striving after anything else and has brought us away from him. We look at the gap between us and this God and we think, wow, there's nothing that I can do to make up that distance. And we're absolutely right. But we have Jesus. We have this Jesus who is like us in every way, Without, but without sin. We have Jesus who knows what we're going through, who can sympathize, who knows the temptation to go away from God and can care for us in the midst of, us, uh, midst of that and show us the direction to go. So let us then hold fast our confession, cling to the truths of who Jesus is and what he has done, trusting in the work that he has accomplished rather than any work that we could produce in ourselves. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, giving access to that that cannot be taken away because of who Jesus is and what he's done. So we don't have to hold back wondering like, oh, what if, what if God sees just how far gone I am? Trust me, he sees, but that doesn't matter anymore because of Jesus. What if, what if I, I can't go before the throne of grace because, because I, I'm not good enough for God? You are certainly not good enough, but that doesn't matter. What if I, I go before him and I experience the wrath of entering his throne room without permission? You have permission to draw confidently to the presence of God because of who Jesus is and what he has done as our high priest. And there is so much more that's offered in this passage as well. And to think about that, that there is more on offer here, more than Jesus, God on high made low to know what we are like, to be the perfect high priest for us, the perfect representation between God and man. More than him paying the price that should have been ours. We said the cost of sin is death. And so we earned that price, but Jesus goes and pays that for, our, for us. More than, than forgiveness for us trying to take God's role from him and, and, and trying to be the gods of our own life. Look at the passage. As we confidently draw to the throne of grace, we receive grace and mercy to help in a time of need. And this is the, the, the times that are most difficult for us or the times that we most try to wrestle away from God is rightful place and role. It's, it's when things are, are difficult that we feel the need to, to get by by grit or mental fortitude or just toughness, to just persevere throughout it. And those will all wear out because we are poor gods after all. But we are not told that we need to rely on that, that God himself is sustaining us, that we receive grace and mercy in our time of need. And so people ask, you're going through all this difficulty. You're not seeing God work. Why not just give up on this God? We know the answer to why we do not give up on him. It's the same answer to how we were brought near to him to begin with. As magnets separated, flipped, rightly aligned and brought near. It's the same answer to how we were able to receive forgiveness despite us going against him constantly. It's the same answer to how we were able to get access to him. It's the same answer to how we were able to hold fast our confession. 
It's the same answer to how we are able to approach the throne of grace with confidence. It is because we have this Jesus. We said that the price of going against this God, this holy and good and perfect God, is that of death. But Jesus goes and pays that price for us by going to the cross. And one of the places that we get to, uh, we get to remember that, to celebrate what Jesus has done, to worship him for all of that is through communion. This time comes from when Jesus was on his way to the cross. He was having a meal with his disciples, and he said, uh, he grabbed the bread, and, and he took that as part of the meal, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. How do we receive this forgiveness? How do we receive the covering for our sin? How do we be in right standing with this God? Well, it's because Jesus went and died the death that should have been ours. And he took the cup, and he said, this is a new covenant by my blood. Well, how can we trust these promises? How can we know that there is grace and mercy given to us in a time of need? Well, we know that is because those promises have been sealed by the blood of Jesus. So as we gather together as Christians, brought together because of the saving work of the cross, we get this time to pause and reflect and think about who Jesus is and what he's done. All those promises offered to us let us pause and reflect on the cost of the cross, but also the, the goodness of the cross to us, of how Jesus has paid it all and the benefits we get to receive because of that. But we are all still people, knowing that we make poor gods, trying to still take that role. So let us also stop and reflect, where am I going against this God? Where am I trying to take control of things, thinking that I know what is best? Where am I not placing my life in obedience to this God who has done so much? I want to give us a couple minutes to stop and pause and reflect. Think about the cost of the cross, the benefits of it, and how we can continue surrendering it all to this God who has paid it all. Take a couple moments. I'll bring us back and we will take communion together then.